Heavenly Father, we come this morning to tell you that we give you all the praise that is due your name. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So Jesus, I pray today as we lift you high, God, that you would draw men unto yourself. Lord, that we would look to you as we hear your word, that we would respond. God, that we would leave this place changed this morning because you are a great God. So Lord, help us to live our lives to please you and not ourselves. Thank you for all that you've done for us. You've been so kind to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Mahalo, they would say, I think, or aloha. Good morning. Feels like I've been gone a long time. We enjoyed our visit, and it's good to be home, though. We'll have a party for Ken on the 15th, so y'all get ready for the party after church on the 15th, okay? And you'll hear more about that when the time comes. All right. We're going to start looking at what Jesus had to say in Matthew 6 and 7 for a while. The Beatitudes, important, important information. You know, we, we spend a lot of time reading and talking about the red words of Jesus, and they are absolutely important. They are crucial to understanding our cause, our mission, our, our uh, relationship, uh, the value of Christ's love and all those wonderful things. It helps us to understand what it means to walk in his ways and to encounter him, to experience him. But we also need to pay close attention to the black words. And the black words are, of course, all over the New Testament. I, I want to just encourage you that uh, when you go shopping for a Bible, when yours falls apart and it's time to get another one, only look in the red word letter section for buying Bibles. Get you a red letter edition and uh, get you one you can read. Now, if you can read Greek and Hebrew, get after it. If you can read the King Jimmy, by all means, read the King Jimmy. It's a beautiful thing, but, but I personally have trouble with Greek and Hebrew and King Jimmy. I find Greek, Hebrew, and King Jimmy are all the same. They just look at their words and go, ah, geez. So find you one that you can read. Find you one that uh, uh, you can understand well, whichever one that is, and just dig in. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Uh, this, uh, these two verses, actually, when you take a look at it and just try to apply what they would mean for us today, I think helps us to understand what it is we need to do and, and how we need to do it and what we need to be focused on and what we need to be connected to and committed to. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, We would think it's just, you know, logistics here for us, right? We just help us understand the purpose and and in the setting for the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and you are salt, you are light, and all those wonderful teachings that we find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The evidence is that Jesus taught Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over and over and over and over again 
to the disciples because he really wanted it to sink in and for them to understand. I mean, if you will just get a hold of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you read 5, 6, and 7 every single day for six months or so, you will grasp the things of the Lord. It will be a wonderful time as the Spirit will guide you into the truth to help you be really anchored into the Lord Jesus and understand. But these two verses are really crucial for us. They're really important to us. It sets up the teaching for us. It helps us to understand. It gives us a guidance that we need to have. First of all, Jesus saw the crowds. Now, that's all he says here in this scripture, right? This is all we get in Matthew 5. But in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38, we get an understanding of what Jesus saw when he saw the crowds. When Jesus saw the crowds, he saw their hurt. He saw their pain. He saw their anguish. He said he saw them as hopeless, harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. You remember some time ago, I sold you a picture of that big sheep that had lived over a year or so without a shepherd, and his hair grew. You couldn't see his eyes. You couldn't see his mouth. He was just one great big blob of wool. And we talked about that's what it's like when a sheep is without a shepherd. He doesn't get sheared. And, and that sheep had so much wool on him that oftentimes he would fall over and he just couldn't get up. He couldn't, he couldn't get traction. He was just so covered in wool. We need a shepherd. Desperately, we need a shepherd. And people in this world, when, when Jesus sees the world then, and Jesus sees the world now, the symptoms are probably different, but the root is still the same. He saw the crowds. I believe that when Jesus sees the crowds today, he sees the crowds of people who are hopeless, helpless, harassed like sheep without a shepherd. People today are like pawns. People today are believing all kinds of stuff all kinds of religious stuff. People today are in bondage to all kinds of ideas and ways. People are interpreting history a certain way today. They are interpreting life's events a certain way. And the end result of that is that people are in deep anguish. And I think that when Jesus sees the crowds now, he sees the crowds the same way he saw back then. In Jesus' day, they were under Roman occupation. It wasn't easy to be under Roman occupation. In Jesus' day, they were under the, the, the thumb of the religious leaders. The religious leaders were harsh. I mean, when you live by the law, it's a difficult life to begin with. And when you have religious leaders that control people with the law, nothing worse than people controlled by religion. And, and that's what it was in that day. Today, people are controlled by worldly religions the religion of human, uh, humanism, the, the religion of education. Today you hear a lot about science, the religion of science. And, and I, I laugh so hard when I hear people say, you know, we got to understand science evolves. And I went, no, you don't call it science. Do you know what you know, right? I said, even in my real simple way of looking at things, if science evolves, that just, what you're really saying is science hadn't evolved. Your understanding of it is, well, why don't you say you don't know? 
Why don't you say you ain't got it yet? If somebody would just stand up and say, you know, the bottom line is we don't have the foggiest idea of what in the world is going on, I would go, I'll follow you, man. I'll listen to you. At least you're honest about it. And the world is, it, we're, we're harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Man, the world needs the church. The world needs you. There are people in your neighborhood that need you. There are people at your school that need you. There's people at the work that need you. It needs people that understand truth and have the message of Jesus. People desperately need the message of Jesus. Jesus saw the crowds. The next thing we see here is he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, now, that's just him moving from one place to another. What can we learn from that? Well, what is he doing here? Well, he's getting away from the world. He's separating himself from the world for a purpose. And that purpose, of course, is for the disciples to come to him and for him to be able to teach him. Now, the reason why Jesus is teaching the disciples is that he has seen the condition of the crowds and he has compassion for them. He hurts for them. He's, he's just inside. He has such anguish for them. And so that compassion leads him to do something. This is what it does. He, he gets up, walks up to a mountain, and he sits down. A place and a time. A place and a time so that they can go to work on the crowds. A place and a time so that there can be instruction. First of all, they need instruction, but second of all, they need to get away from the crowds because messing with the crowds wore them out. It was taxing, and I'm sure emotional you know, anguish took place. They were emotionally spent by spending so much time with the needs of the crowd. And, and the Lord's compassion, we see that in Matthew 9, 35-38, that he had compassion on people who were like sheep without a shepherd. So he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, we see here crystal clear a time and a place. The place is on top of the mountain, and the time is when he got there. He separated himself from the crowds. Do you realize that that's the church? That's the church. That's what we are. We are separated from the crowds for a time and a place so that we can worship God and we can get our bearings back. So that we can be instructed, so we can pull together, so we can have the, the rough edges knocked off, so that we can have the bruises mended, so that we can get the energy we need to have once again to go back into those crowds. We all need a time and we all need a place. It's important that we understand that. He went up on top of the mountain and he sat down. The, the most important institution in any community is the local church. It's the most important institution. Of all the institutions that you're committed to, you should be most committed to the church because it is the tool that Jesus, that God the Father, the Holy Spirit are using to help people. And when we operate like we're supposed to, and we are the body of Christ, we are compassion 
embodied in this world. It is, it's the tool to help people, to show people, to teach people, to guide people, and to be that bridge between hurting people in the, in the presence of Christ. You know, today the church gets a lot of bad names, it gets a lot of black eyes, and we own a lot of it, right? We make a lot of stupid decisions. We make a lot of blunders. We're just imperfect people. And, and every church is full of imperfect people. This church is no different. But we are imperfect people under grace, learning to love to be on mission with Christ. And it's important. Acts 20, 28 says that Jesus shed his blood for the church. And since he shed his blood for the church, we should understand that that means that the church is most precious to Jesus. And so it should be precious to us. If it's important to him, it should be important to us. We need a time and a place. We need a place where we can get away from the masses and we can sit down with Jesus. And that's what the body of Christ is. Here we are sitting down with Jesus. We've opened his word and we're hearing what the Lord might have to say to us. And so are you connected to the church? Are you committed to the church? Are you looking past the, the blunders of people? Are you looking past the imperfection of the leadership? Are you looking past the mistakes that people make from time to time? Are you, are you looking past the hypocrisy? Are you looking past uh, uh, the, the, the misunderstandings that take place in the church and understanding that the church is the tool that God will use? Now, think about it this way. Now, he chose an imperfect, imperfect vessel to do his work. Okay? I don't know what other vessel he might have used, but he chose an imperfect vessel to do his work. I think one of the reasons is, is so that we can't claim credit for it. And when we do claim credit for it, man, it really is empty. It's really on thin ice. And so God chose to use imperfect people, people of blemishes, people of hurts, habits, and hang-ups, people that don't always understand, people that don't always make the right choices, people that don't always get what they need to get to bring people to the wonderful understanding of salvation and hope and peace and joy and security in Christ. That's us. I mean, every time you come to church, just look around and notice how imperfect we are. There's blemishes, there's pains, there's all kinds of habits, all kinds of hurts, all kinds of misunderstandings. Some of us got attitude problems, we need attitude adjustment all the time. Some of us are cranky, some of us are bitter, some of us are resentful. Some of us have pains that we haven't quite been able to manage. Some of us are struggling with this matter, this matter, out of control with this matter. Some of us sleep in church. Some of us, some of us get bored easily. Some of us just don't understand. And that's the, that's the tool. That's the institution that Jesus is going to change the world with. That's his goal. That's us. So love the church. Be connected to the church. Be committed to church. Love church at the crossing. Love its warts. Love its hang-ups. Love its struggles. Love its, its imperfections. 
be connected to the church of the crossing and and be committed to the church of the crossing may the church be the institution other than christ that you're that you're most connected to that's what jesus desires of us the third thing we see here so seeing the crowds he went up on a mountain and he sat down his disciples came to him and his disciples left the hundreds or the thousands of people that were on that hillside on the sea of galilee and they go up further up the mountain to be with jesus you know what the disciples represent for us a small group it was a small group jesus had three groups that he taught he taught the masses he taught the twelve and he taught the three you know the three were peter james and john and when you read through the gospels you see that the mount transfiguration this event this event when there was something really significant that's about to happen Somehow or another, Jesus knew that the, the big players were going to be Peter, James, and John when, in, in carrying out the mission. And so when there was that real special thing that he needed to show them, he went with Peter, James, and John. So we see three different groups that Jesus hung out with. The masses, the disciples, the twelve, and the three. Small groups. Two out of three are small groups. Not an accident. Jesus knows that the best way to disciple people, the best way to guide people, the best way to mend people's hurts, pains, and troubles is with small groups. Small groups. He had two different kinds of small groups. I, I, I get a kick all the time out of people that argue about what kind of small group should it be. <laughs> I mean... I've read this guy's book. I've read this guy's book. This guy, who gives a, you know, who cares? Get in a small group. Get in a small group. Open the Bible and pray and talk with each other and see what the Lord does in that group. But by all means, be in a small group. If you're not in a small group, you're weakening the cause of Christ here at CAC, Church at the Crossing, whatever our name is. <laughs> you're weakening it we're not as strong as should be the strength of our mission the strength of your family the strength of your own spiritual life is going to be whether or not you're in a small group and if you say i don't need a small group you need it first you need it oh boy do you need it i just i'm not gonna go open up get over yourself i need it i'm in four I'm in four small groups. I need it. I, you, you probably need five small groups a week. If I only need four because I ball that in a bag of chips. A small group. I, I read that book that the, the men handed out on, on Dad's Day. Remember that? Patrick Morley's The Christian Life, The Christian Man. Good book. You ought to read it. Ladies, you ought to read it too. Just when it says men, say women. You can do that. And if you can't do that in your mind, if you hadn't quite arrived at just go through and cross out every time it says men and put women. There's only one chapter you'll struggle with, but just skip over that and go on down the road. But in that book, in that book, he says something that I think is really spot on. And honestly, probably for me, the best thing I read in the book, this is what he said. 
of all your problems will be solved with a Bible, with a small group, and serving someone. Amen. I got an amen out of that. Thank you. God bless you. Bill back there in the closet. We keep him in the closet. <laughs> Think about that. 90% of all your problems will be solved with a Bible, with a small group, and serving someone else. If you'll do those three things, he says, and be honest with you, I believe it too. I've seen it. I, I for sure believe it. It fits our scripture today. It makes sense. It's what I see happening in the body of Christ. Anyone, any one of our believers, I don't care where they've come from. I don't know how, I don't care how controlled they are by sin. I don't care how big their hangups are. I don't know how stubborn, it doesn't matter how prideful, how stubborn they are, how egotistical they are. It doesn't matter how educated or non-educated they are. If they will be faithful with the Bible, be in a small group and serve someone else, their life will improve. One reason is they get the focus off themselves. And most likely, a majority of our issues will be at least lessened if we'll just get our focus off ourselves. I mean, if you sit around all day long thinking about you, your life's going to be miserable. I mean, isn't that true? If all you do is think about you, if all you do is think about your problems, if all you think about how you've been treated, if all you think about is how unfair life is for you, if all you do is think about how you don't have this and someone else has this, if you always compare yourself with other people, you compare yourself with their family, you compare yourself with their marriage, you, can, you compare yourselves with their home, with their life, with their vacation, and all those kind of things. Man, you'll just get covered up with problems and you and you won't be able to escape them but if you got a bible the bible helps you to get the focus off yourself because we learn really quick we read the bible and pay attention to it it's always saying to us get over yourself believe in god trust in me in my father's house of many rooms it's through me for by grace you're saved through faith not of yourselves you can't save yourself by grace galatians 2 20 jesus uh, paul said it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives through me. The secret is, the secret to a life of peace and joy is get your focus off yourself. Be open, be transparent, be honest about your situation. The Bible, small group, be connected in that small group. Talk in that small group. Share your life with other people in that small group. Let the Lord use that small group to bless you, to teach you, to guide you, to instruct you, to rebuke you, to, to slap you in the head when you need to be slapped in the head. You need to have a small group that every now and then they look across the room, they look across the table, and they say, you are a moron. You need to learn. Get over yourself. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Let's go. Jesus is Lord. Why do you live like Jesus, not Lord? Quit. What, what are you doing? You've been doing, making the same old mistake week after week after week. Come on. Let's go. Your life's too valuable. Your kids are too important. Your wife is too special. Your husband is, is, is a gift. So come on. Quit Quit failing here and get on with life you need that kind of small group you need a kind of small group that people will love you enough to tell you what you need to hear 
And the Holy Spirit will use that. The disciples were a small group. Bible, small group, and serving someone else. Who are you serving right now? Who are you serving? Who are you serving? Can you think of someone that you're making a difference in? Can you think of someone that every single day you get your, you get your focus off yourselves and you make a difference in them? Serving a group of people? Serving a cause? So the disciples came to him. And what happened? He opened his mouth and taught them saying. He opened his mouth and taught them saying. All that right there is profound, isn't it? That's the last point of the sermon. I mean, you, you, you don't read it a different way. You don't interpret it a different way. You can parse the Greek and, and you still get the same thing. He opened his mouth. How else can he teach unless he opens his mouth? <laughs> you can't talk. I mean, you don't understand that, right? He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, He taught them the word of God. Your application for that, He opened his mouth and taught them, Are you teachable? Are you open to God's word? He saw the crowds, had compassion on them, like sheep without a shepherd. He went up on the mountain and sat down. The disciples went to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, saying, the place of God's Word in your life. You know, we, we all got a little bit of this young man that I'm going to tell you about in us. Several years ago in a small group, I was leading the group, and we came to the place of Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. Remember it like it was yesterday. Six o'clock in the morning, we're studying the Scriptures, and... and uh, the Word says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I read that Word. I read verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. He spoke up and he said, I don't believe that. I looked around the room. This one guy started laughing. This other guy had a bewildered look on his face. And I said, you don't believe that? No, that's not what it means. If you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive your others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's not what it says. If you forgive others. I mean, that's what it says. It says that if you forgive others, you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven. You mean to tell me, Lee, that I'm unforgiven if I haven't forgiven other people? If you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Yeah, that's what it says. I don't believe that. Oh, 
Well, I, I don't know how to help you, brother. I mean, obviously, with something so crystal clear, you're not willing to accept. What other words of Jesus are you not willing to accept? We found out there were lots of them. We also found out that he was really angry and he was really bitter and really resentful over an event that had happened with other people and he just couldn't forgive them. But through Jesus, he could if he just understood that. And I began to explain with him. I said, you know, you can forgive people and not forget. It doesn't say forget. It says, I mean, if it's really been a toxic problem, a really difficult time, I mean, I'm, if, if someone hits me in the mouth, I'm not going to show back up unguarded. <clears throat> you know, I'm not going to put myself at the, I'm not going to be a doorstep. I'm not going to doormat, in other words. I'm not going to put myself in that deal. However, it's really clear. Jesus taught, if you forgive you will be forgiven. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven of that offense. Boy, crystal clear. So the question is for us from that scripture is, are you teachable? If Jesus opens his mouth and teaches you, are you listening? Are you teachable? Are, are you pliable like a, like a piece of pottery, a piece of clay on the pottery wheel? Or how do you see the crowds? How do you see the crowds? Do you have compassion when you see the crowds? Do you grow in compassion? How do you see the crowds? Are you committed and connected to the church, the body of Christ? Are you in a small group? Are you in a small group for the purpose of making a difference in the crowds? Are you in a small group that has the Holy Spirit at work and the Bible is the center of the conversation and the purpose of the small group is to get us ready to go deal with the crowds, to get us ready to go and give the hope to the crowds, to give the word to the crowds, to give the possibility to the crowds, to give you know, love to the crowds. I don't know about you, but if I don't have a small group speaking to me and teaching me, I don't love people like I want to, like Jesus wants me to. But those small groups help me. They help me. They help me to keep focused and keep centered and, and, and keep my bearing. What I need to do and how I need to do it. Are you committed to your small group? Are you committed to a small group? Are you in a small group? If you're not, get in one. Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain and sat down. And the disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, Are you open to his word? Are you open to his word? Nathan's going to come and he's going to sing a song for us. And I just have an altar call today, a time of invitation, a time for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, and, and just a time of prayer, a time of hope, and, and maybe a time of renewal. Maybe it's a time of first steps to be committed, be committed to growing in passion for people. Growing compassion for people that you're no longer going to suppress it. You're going to be opening up to it. A commitment to the church by George. A commitment to the body of Christ says, I'm going to stand with the church. I'm going to serve with the church. I see the masters. I see it as helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And, and, and then to a small group. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to, I'm going to get ugly with people. I'm going to get my hands dirty to people for the cause of Christ. And I'm going to walk through life with other people in Christ because the crowd is too hard on me and it's too difficult. And, and I've got to get away every now and then for food, for refuel, for nourishment, for guidance, for, for inspiration, 
to go on back into the masses, to the world, the crowd that is absolutely bonkers today, right? And I, I want to be open to his word. I just want to saturate myself with his word. Nathan, lead us. Man, sit, stand with us. I want to pray for us. And if you just, as we sing, if you just come to the altar and pray, and, and, and my heart's desire is that this church get as strong as it possibly can for the sake of Christ's mission, his purpose in our lives. So, Nathan, you sing for us, group sing, and you come. Lord, we pray your will be done. We pray, Lord, that commitments be made today to be able to make a difference in our, in, in, in our community. Father, we know that when your spirit works, nothing but good things happen. In Jesus' name, amen.